Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Recorded in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. This is Dr. Santosh Nadiparam coming at you. From the same time zone! Never happens, people. Absolutely never happens. For, For listeners at home, normally, Dr. Santosh is over on the West Coast. I'm in the central time zone, Dr. Praz is on the east coast, and several of our other co-hosts are scattered around the country and world. So to be able to record at what is a reasonable time for me is so unbelievably exciting, because usually I'm waiting for people to sign on, and boy does it get my blood boiling. Oh, I I would say that you, you start spouting some hemata poetry at that point. <laughs> well, listeners, of course we are going to wax a little hemata poetic because okay. now of course the fact that we are having this much joy and immaturity this early into an episode means that you know what time it is. Once again, it's time for our bi-monthly journal club. Yay! Woo! Nice. And this week, all our articles have to deal with blood, obviously. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. oh, our in ways that will not suck. suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we will be waxing hematopoetic, as Josh said before, but we will not suck this episode. Now, Santosh, in the past, we have done a more traditional episode on blood and blood disorders in in a previous season, and I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. 
I don't know if you were with us when we brought it up, but do you know that in Japan there is an entire association of different personality types with blood types? Oh, you're kidding me. Almost like astrological, like you, you match. Yes, very much. Like type blood, blood type B people will be, you know, very relaxed and lazy. Blood type A people are going to be very ambitious. You know, similar to how we say type A, type B personalities, the Japanese also do it, but they tie it to blood. And interestingly, that is why in the original Street Fighter and Street Fighter 2 games, every character had their blood type included in their bio oh. so you could know things about them. Oh, I thought I, I thought that there was some Easter egg in there, like you could maybe like after a KO, you could actually revive Ken, but the ambulance would need to know his blood type, you know, after he got Hadoukened or something. No, in fact, you're supposed to look at Ken's blood type and automatically know that him and Ryu would not get along. Oh, that's so cool! Oh, that that's really really neat. I love that. So this gives us another wonderful way to make snap judgments of people. But the real, the real question is, if I want to make a snap judgment, drawing someone's blood normally it takes a very long time. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you know, if you want to know, you know, for instance, Dr. Josh's blood type, uh, first you have to, you know, track him down and tackle him. You have to sedate him. And finally, when that's all done, you've got to draw his blood. You have to centrifuge it. Where you, you have to separate the cells from the rest of the liquid, which is plasma, and then you can run tests on it to figure out what his blood type is. It takes a long and time. And then you give and then you give me a cookie because I don't just put my blood out for anyone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Cookie and some orange juice. So your blood type is essential information, especially if you ever need a blood transfusion, and that's because mismatched blood can cause immune reactions and, in severe cases, lead to death. Um, yeah. <laughs> <but> <laughs> you know, no big. No big. Uh, and because of this, if you're going into an emergency room setting or you need an emergency transfusion of blood, most departments will only stock type O blood, which ha does not have any of the traditional antibodies and can be safely given to anybody. And we can briefly, briefly talk about the differences between type A, type B, type AB, and type O, which I'll let you do, Santosh, after telling you another fun historical fact. The reason type O blood is called that is because it's type zero. It lacks. It's not, it has nothing to do with the letter O. Oprah didn't sponsor this blood. There is, it was literally just started being called that because it was easier to say type O with all the other letters than type A, B, or zero. Sure. So, give us the quick and dirty, what's a blood type? Yeah, so we've got uh, all kinds of uh, antigens on our red blood cells and our other blood cells floating around, white blood cells and platelets. But these are the main determinants which work to make sure our blood is our own and if uh, foreign blood is put, somehow gets mixed in. We have a lot of different antigens actually besides A, B, and O and the RH antigen which is the plus or minus when, which is what doctors say when you say uh, positive blood or negative blood, but these are the major determinants which go into whether our blood kind of coagulates, clots, and gets rejected when it's mixed with a donor or a recipient's blood. So just uh, everybody out there who's listening, you can draw a little circle on a piece of paper if you've got it handy or you can imagine it, and 
you can draw a little triangle on the surface of the circle that we can call type A. So that's an A antigen. An antigen is something that's recognized by an antibody. And then, it's like an ID card for your blood. Yeah, you know, swipe or, or, or now you with the chip, whatever you want to do. And if you have B antigens, you would put a little square on the surface of the red blood cells and label that as B. So if you have type A blood, you only have the little triangles. If you have type B, you only have the little squares. If you have AB, you have both triangles and squares. And the type O or type 0, you have neither. And interestingly, in our blood, in the plasma part, so not the part that has cells, but just the, the liquid part, we have antibodies which are kind of complementary to the antigens that we have. So a person who has type A blood will form antibodies against the B antigens. So if they get blood where they have B antigens on it, so either B or AB, their antibodies will actually attack that blood and cause it to clot and become inflamed and destroyed and useless. So that's why O negative blood is so wonderful because those people have no antigens, no A's, no B's on the surface of their red blood cells. They don't have, uh, they, they actually don't provoke an immune response at all. So a donor will donate that blood, that O negative blood, they'll spin it down so that all the blood cells get concentrated, they'll take off the plasma which has all the antibodies and they'll, they'll throw that away, uh, or they'll use it for another purpose, and then they can give those packed red blood cells with no antigens on them so that it never gets attacked to a recipient, and that recipient will attack the blood no matter what blood type they have. Now, this makes type O blood the most valuable, and also, unfortunately, it tends to be the most rare to have no identification. Imagine how hard it is if you're walking around without identification, yeah. right? <laughs> but Especially I, I, in today's day and age. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're off the grid. You're totally off the grid. It's hard to find you. So O negative, if you have it, please consider donating. And you get to have a title in your name. And it's a very grandiose title. You are called a universal donor. Mm. <laughs> Whereas if you have AB, by the way, you also get a pretty grandiose name. Because you have A antigens and B antigens, you don't make any of the antibodies, so you can receive anybody else's blood. So you are a universal recipient. So the <laughs> real... Echo of this. Recipient. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, so, of course, this means that identifying both the kind of blood that an injured person has and being able to stock that kind of blood is going to be very important. And anything that speeds up either one of those processes is going to help save a lot of lives. And now, excitingly, we have developed a much faster way to, well, not we, Santosh and I didn't do it. Yeah, but, I, no, I, would, but, yeah, I would be famous right now. We way. are famous. We have this podcast. We That's right. We'd be famous, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but 
a Hongzhang at the Third Military Medical University in China, along with his colleagues, had developed a paper-based test that can be performed at bedside without specialized training or equipment that would allow the hospitals to identify a patient's blood type almost instantly and therefore very rapidly stock the correct kinds of blood based on their community needs. Yeah, so we're talking about a difference between 10 minutes, so you have to draw the blood, you have to centrifuge it down, you have to run an assay on the cell portion and run an assay on the plasma portion, taking all that, and instead of doing that, just doing either like a finger prick or taking a little drop of blood from whatever you're drawing anyway, dropping it onto a piece of paper, putting it into a reader, letting a computer read it, and boom, you get an answer. And it's not just a single identification. Although we only mentioned the four major blood types, there are about 23 different kinds of antigens that we may look for. And while most people, this is not an issue, if somebody needs frequent transfusions, either because they're having a massive bleed or they have a disease like sickle cell or things like that, it helps to know what kind of blood they can or can't receive. So this this little paper test he developed will, for each antigen present, whether it's A, B, D, gamma, or any of the others, a teal square will show up if that antigen is present in the blood, or a brown square if it is not. Yeah, and the the kind of neat advance that really helped with this is electronic reading and computer interpretation. So a lot of the time when we have color-based tests like this, it's a little bit subjective, and it's subject to the hands of the technician who's looking at it. So if they have, I don't know, color blindness. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> Sorry, fans of the show will recognize my jab at Dr. Josh as being red, green, red, green, colorblind. Who, uh, Dr. Josh, by the way, is not red, green, colorblind. Oh, that's right. I was, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I can see red just fine. I am blue-green colorblind, which means the color navy, I have learned, does not exist in my world. <laughs> in the navy? No, we're not going there. Yeah, no, I have to sing that song in the sea force? In the aqua. In the aqua. <laughs> in the aqua. <laughs> so there would be a lot of trouble interpreting a test like this with the human eye, even if someone had perfect trichromic vision they would say, okay, is this really on the teal side? Is this really on the brown side? Did the color change properly? But if you have a very small sample where the blood drops in a very small surface area, the reader uses something like a laser to focus that light in a small space, and then the interpretation is done by computer, all of the subjectivity is taken out. So... We are combining here not only on-chip reading, which is really, really cool, but we're also you know, compiling on top of that uh, computer learning. So kind of like a, a little smart brain in a computer that can interpret colors and translate them into blood types. And of course, because we love evidence base, this test was trialed on over 3,500 different blood samples takes about 30 seconds to complete and was shown to be 99.9% .9 accurate. 
Oh man, this is really the work of a lot of different disciplines, and it's taken a long time. But if it breaks into the mainstream, you know, think about how important it is. If you're bleeding out and being rushed into the emergency room, how quick it is to actually learn your blood type. Before you'd have to wait for a lab interpretation. Nowadays, you know. The paramedic may be able to have your blood type ready to go by the time you hit the ER, and phone ahead to have your blood type waiting as if you were the Domino's Pizza. <laughs> Or better yet, Doctor Josh, have it available in the ambulance in、uh, frozen stocks or, or cool stocks. That would be so cool. Oh yeah, but even testing your blood in route to the hospital and calling ahead where they can stock it because ambulances, as you know, Santosh, are, are very small and. You really have to maximize the efficiency of what you're keeping. That's absolutely right. You've got to make sure that you kind of carry just the essentials. But all this has got my blood rushing all around my body. It's making me feel very excited. It's almost <laughs> I I almost want to burst into song and say I feel like making lung. <laughs> oh, but but that was a slight misstep on my part. Oh, yeah. Because the lungs don't make blood, do, well, do they? You know, as far as we knew, when we're very, very young, we have like little blood pools, and、uh, that sounds like the most metal childhood ever. Oh, it's it, you know, fetuses and embryos are. are Timmy,、so、go play in the blood pool. I hate you, mom. <laughs> you make blood pools. We know about the spleen、uh, being able to generate blood for a while. We know about the liver,、uh, and then the main、uh, resource for making blood or hematopoiesis is our、uh, bone marrow. Right. So originally, we we felt that the stem cells for Blood parts, you know, the blood Legos,、uh -huh. for by and large reside in bone marrow, and then you get a couple instructions from the liver and some maturing of the blood in the spleen, and also the culling of the old blood cells. So you have a whole blood society. Yeah, it's it's every it's the circle of blood. I I hope listeners at home are preparing themselves for a series of progressively worse jokes as this goes on. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. We won't stop there. Whoa! But excitingly, I, I want to offer this to you know because we have Patreon listeners now, and you can cut this out or not. But if if you'd like us to just go bleh in a loop, you know, for like fifteen or twenty minutes,、uh, we can offer that to you as and cheaply. And she, oh, absolutely! <laughs> like any level donation, any yeah, level yeah. donation, and Doctor Santos and I will just make you a ringtone of us going blue. Yeah, and we we will do it live for as long as as、uh, <laughs> you know as as not as as long as you want us to, but you know with the. <laughs> I can be bought. Oh yeah. <laughs> Forty <laughs> minutes of bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> so, I, the reason I'm so excited about this, Santosh, is discovering things about our own bodies is always fantastic. And this was discovered really recently, as in this month.、Uh, the study was published on the 24th of March, so only a week ago. 
Yeah, at the time of this recording. Yeah, this was actually it was big enough that it made it into Nature, which is one of the highest tier journals that we have in biological science. And uh, I, listeners, if you can go back and Josh, maybe you can drop it in the show notes. But um, we gave a a little uh, journal club a little while back about extra lymphatics that we found in the mouse brain. Um, and we thought that the brain was this privileged immune space, but there were a couple of researchers that said, hey, there are lymphatics in here, which is a structure that should not be in the brain. This is the same kind of theme where we found blood-making cells or blood cell progenitors growing and flourishing in an organ where they shouldn't be there. Or at least where we had not expected to find them. Yes, that's true. So, now, of course, when we're talking about the lungs making blood, we didn't go out and start puncturing people's lungs. We did this with mice. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. So, in experiments, researchers from the University of California, San Francisco, while experimenting on mice, noticed that they were producing over 10 million platelets. And platelets are very, very tiny, specialized blood cells. Uh, per hour, which is about the majority of platelets in a mouse circulation. And the thought was, where are they producing this many platelets? Because they just don't have enough bone marrow to even do that. And it turns out that they found a pool of these same blood stem cells, which we're going to give them a formal, fancy medical jargon name, called megakaryocytes. Sounds kind of like a Power Ranger (laughs) suit up go (laughs) absolutely I love megakaryocytes platelets are really important for clotting you guys they're actually not cells they're little cell fragments and these are the little cell fragments which bunch together at the site of cell injury and form the initial clot and megakaryocytes mega meaning large karyo actually means seed and sites, meaning cells. These are the progenitors of all these platelets. Megakaryocytes come to maturity, and then they actually fragment into platelets that circulate around your body and stop you from bleeding to death. Woot. Among other things, which are very nice. Oh, yeah. And so when we're talking about blood stem cells, those are the specific ones. And we have now found pools of these megakaryocytes being produced by the lung. And we thought previously that the majority of cells responsible for all blood production were kept inside the bone marrow, and then they might travel to the lung or other parts of the body where they mature. But scientists over the course of this research process learned that the megakaryocytes are actually functioning from within the lung tissue to produce not a few, but the majority of the body's platelets. So the lungs in these mice, and presumably the lungs in us, are actually the main source of platelets with the bone marrow just providing a supplemental. So the real question is, how the heck did we miss this? <laughs> well, you know, the thought process was always, Josh, that megakaryocytes are made of the bone marrow, and that after they kind of start to migrate out, that they can kind of mature on their own. But you know, it turns out that they're a lot like, you know, prepubescent kids or adolescent kids, you know, that they have to go through like a rite of passage. You know, they've got to go through school or they've got to go through puberty. 
in order to fully mature and turn into platelets. And so, you know, going through the lungs is kind of like a mini adolescence. You know, they got a little little hair on their chest. They started smelling funny. And then they were like, you know... And like any teenagers, they had a lot of breakups. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Just like the mega carriers. Exactly. And then they become fully mature. It's like, I can go form a clock. So if you want to track a teenager, I mean sell. <laughs> yeah. The reason we didn't notice this before is we didn't have the technology. So... What was done to first notice this? Well, we tagged these cells with these green fluorescent proteins. And the green fluorescent proteins come from animals like jellyfish, and it makes them glow bright under specific conditions. And then they put these glowing megakaryocytes back into the mouse platelets, or this tracer, and they watched it circulate around the body in real time, seeing where a megakaryocyte would spend its typical day. And over the course of this, a surprisingly large population of platelet-producing megakaryocytes was found in the lung tissue, which initially didn't make a lot of sense to researchers. And they decided to follow it up and really put more fluorescing protein in there. And further experiments revealed that just outside the lung tissue, there is a huge amount of blood stem cells to make regular white and red blood cells and megakaryocyte progenitor cells that give rise to platelets. It was really awesome. And I think, Josh, one of the reasons that we never thought about this, you know, leading up to this research is that, you know... The, the maturation process is fairly quick for this kind of a cell. So we always saw plenty of platelets going around, and we saw megakaryocytes in the bone marrow. So the idea that they matured and that they were ready to go straight out of the bone marrow was not really a flawed one. But I think that the idea that these researchers really caught onto, like you said at the beginning, was that they really couldn't account for the number of platelets that were circulating even in a state of what we call thrombocytopenia, or low platelets. So they said, hey, these platelets have to, have to be going somewhere. And they used a pretty cool technique to, to track these little guys throughout the body of the mouse. So we do have yet to see if this occurs in other species. Mice are a beautiful testbed model, and we use them all the time. And we thank our mice for their sacrifice. But at some point, we do have to verify if the same is true in other mammals and, of course, in humans. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And if that is true, it would provide some very interesting 
areas for treatment in the future for how we dis- address disorders like COPD or lung transplant, because even in mice, they played a few other games where they gave mice with low platelet counts some of these transplanted megakaryocyte progenitors. They put it into that blood pool in the lungs, and they found that those transplants would produce a massive platelet burst that quickly restored the depleted platelet count to normal levels lasting several months. Uh, They also did this, they put some of these lung cells into mice bone marrow that had specifically been engineered to have no stem cells in it for blood, and they noted that the cells that they put in the bone marrow very quickly escaped, made their way back up to the lungs, and began producing all the things that the bone marrow wasn't. They broke out. They did break out. So I have to tell you, this is this is very exciting, especially coming on the heels of our declaration of the omentum as a additional abdominal organ. Yeah, I, I, I think it's so wonderful to find that what is old is new, that we keep discovering all these accessory functions and delving more and more into our anatomy physiology and biochemistry to some extent and cell biology and saying, hey, we don't know everything. And that's the beautiful part about science. We always start with I don't know. And the more you know, the more you know. Every little bit of information we get makes us that much stronger and more knowledgeable and more powerful. And really, the whole goal of human life is to stay strong to the finish. Right? Yeah. Well, this next story I'm going to tell you is, of all the ones I found this week, by far my favorite. And not just for all the punning opportunities, (laughs) but because... It teaches me something I've known for years that you can automatically trust pretty much anything you see in a cartoon. <laughs> right? Cartoons don't lie to children. They are pure and and wonderful, and the older they are, the better. For example, what you may not have realized is the medical benefits of watching, say, Popeye. Oh, yes. I mean, he's strong to the finish because he eats his spinach. He's And, of course, people would assume, oh, well, his spinach is really a thinly veiled reference to a drug habit because that's how people viewed the 60s. And, in (laughs) fact, we have learned that spinach and spinach leaves in particular have been serving some very interesting upcoming functions. If I were to tell you, without doing the BuzzFeed you'll never guess, (laughs) our our next article, spinach leaves are being transformed into frameworks for human heart tissue. So we're actually learning how to build hearts using spinach. Guys, I I don't want to say that we've struck at the root of the problem. All right. Oh, leaf off. <laughs> I, I'm saying this is why we have to invest in STEM. <laughs> this All is. Right. I like that you went there. This is a true stem cell research, but not the stems you were thinking of. No, no. I mean, sometimes you know when you know you're you're cooking with leaves, you want to cut away the stem, but here you want to keep the stem, and then you want to take that leaf and you want to turn it over. Well, before your language lets gets a little too flowery, I think we really ought to dig into this story and strike at the root of the material. 
Oh, let's get right to the heart and then flow them wherever it takes us. <laughs> so this study published also this month, March 25th, 2017, by the journal Biomaterials, presented a brand new way to grow a vascular system, which for a long time has been a real roadblock when it comes to tissue engineering. After all, we've already created large-scale human tissue in a lab setting using 3D printing because we've learned to print with organic materials, but the hardest part has really been growing these small, delicate blood vessels, right? Making a big, giant muscle is simple. You can think of it this way. Construction of a building is, relatively speaking, easy. Every child built sandcastles. But figuring out the electricity and plumbing, a little trickier. Yeah, yeah. So the devil's always in the details here. And Josh, I do believe we had discussed before scaffolds. Uh, and you, you mentioned 3D printing. We also talked about a different technology, which was to take a heart and decellularize it. Do you remember where we took out all the muscle tissue and the endovascular tissue? So we were left with a fibrous ghost heart. So this was ghost heart. This is ghost leaf. This is the same type of idea. We took a leaf and, well, not we, again. (laughs) Our researchers in Worcester, Massachusetts and Wisconsin, decellularized the leaf so that what was left behind was the fibrous scaffold. But that scaffold was the same type of blood vessel network that in our body. And so into that scaffold, you can put in stem cells. Now, if we're getting a little too technical, I'm going to make this even simpler for you. So one of the defining traits of a leaf is the branching network of thin veins. You can pick up any plant that happens to be, and you see the each little vein from that leaf will bring water and nutrients to all the cells. Yeah, just like a river branching out into tributaries. Now, if you remove just the plant cells, the cells that make it a plant, what you're left with is a material that you're well familiar with known as cellulose. Mm, I love it. It's rough. It keeps the bowels moving. Yeah, and cellulose is biocompatible, meaning our body won't attack it when it's placed inside. And because of that, there's a lot of medical applications like cartilage tissue engineering, bone tissue engineering, or even wound healing. So once they had this cellulose plant framework, the team then put it in a little bath of live human cells or stem stem-produced lab human cells, so human tissue grew on the spinach scaffolding, which makes me think of Bushroot from Darkwing Duck. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he was was a nice guy turned evil. I I liked Professor Bushroot. Yeah. So once they had made this weird plant-human hybrid, they had transformed the spinach leaf into a little mini heart, they then injected sample fluids and microbeads through the veins to demonstrate that it could still support blood flow through the system. So this is a very, very early stage where we're really just establishing a proof of concept. But the eventual goal, of course, would be able to replace damaged tissue in patients who have had heart attacks or other cardiac issues by giving them whole new vessels. Right now, all we do is we will remove the roadblocks or stent 
your heart open and hope that it creates alternative pathways to get blood to where it needs to go. But this would allow us to grow brand new veins and arteries to carry that blood. Yeah, and the issue was always before when you're trying to grow blood vessels was this architecture, was to take the stem cells and be able to form that beautiful tube-like structure that would feed blood in a pulsatile manner, boom, 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 to whatever organ needed it. In Josh, Josh's example, he was talking about the heart, but you could do this for anything. Just like he said, you could do this for a transplanted hand or an arm, or you could even regrow blood vessels into a hand or an arm that was losing blood. You could grow it back into the liver. You could grow it back into the bowels. So right now we're talking about using this leaf as a scaffold for growing back blood vessels, using the cellulose scaffold to grow back blood vessels. But this starts a whole new trend in regrowing tissues, and it may be a way of getting away from transplants altogether, which would be wonderful. And of course, the scientists, scientists, as we've mentioned on numerous occasions, terrible at naming, great at thinking of new applications. <laughs> oh no, what did they do with this one, Josh? Well, they immediately leaped on the idea that if you can do this with spinach cells to rebuild heart, right. what if we start swapping other cells, other kinds of plant cells to different organs? And one particularly enthusiastic grad student said, we might even be able to eventually swap out the cells in wood to fix human bones. He wants to make tree people. Oh, I am Groot. <laughs> right? He wants to make Groot. This student got wood <laughs> and said to himself, I want to become, I don't know, Groot or a Naruto ninja or somebody who is just a full plant human hybrid creature. Oh, I love it. I love you could get Now he didn't go it. quite that far. He just mentioned, you know, swapping other kinds of plant cells for different applications. But still. <laughs> yeah, and you know, plants as long as we take care of our environment are very plentiful and available, and it's much easier to use a scaffold like this rather than waiting for a scaffold like, you know, a whole heart or a whole organ. So, really really promising research. Now, let's move on from, you know, idealistic research where we're seeing things coming down the line to research that's finally coming to fruition and being put in practice. And no, I'm not talking about the upcoming head transplant, although we will. Oh, guys, just hold on to the edge of your seats. We're coming. We're coming. <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourselves. <laughs> Moving on to the next story, which, again, published this month. Originally, I found it reading New Scientist, but I believe the actual journal that it was published in... Uh, Santos, do you happen to remember? I do. It's in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was a brief report, but this is one of the premier journals in uh, kind of applications of medicine here in the Western world. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a breakthrough. Yeah, so let's... Let's get into this last story on our, our blood work and talk about how gene therapy has achieved the first alleged cure of sickle cell disease, which 
is something that is very, very prevalent in our society and around the world. Yeah, and it, it actually came about as a pretty cool evolution to fight malaria. If you f- look at the correlation between the sickle cell trait, so this abnormal hemoglobin, which can make the red blood cells turn into a sickle or a C shape when you're exposed to low oxygen environments, right? But what would happen is if you have this hemoglobin S phenotype or genotype, then the malaria parasite actually had a really hard time eating your red blood cells. So you weren't immune to malaria, but you were actually much better off. So you actually see hemoglobin S or sickle cell coming from parts of the world where malaria is very prevalent. Absolutely. And of course, the idea of gene therapy, which is using specialized strands of DNA to compensate for a person's malfunctioning genes, is actually a pretty old idea comparatively. We've been using it for about 30 years, but it's really just been used to treat very, very rare diseases, and it's been very expensive and cost prohibitive. But with the creation of CRISPR and a few other different methods, gene therapy is becoming a much more widely available kind of treatment. So Santosh, why don't we talk or why don't you tell us a little bit about what this specific gene therapy was and how they achieved this cure? And can we trust it? Oh, sure. So yeah, yeah, this, this is a pretty good method. Now, in this day and age, I can say it's fairly well established. So you have a sickle cell trait and you have sickle cell disease. When you have sickle cell disease, your blood cells, your red blood cells, when they're exposed to low oxygen, so if you exercise really hard or if you go to a high altitude, what happens is the red blood cells become rigid and they buckle and they turn into a sickle or a C-shape and they can aggregate and create little micro clots in the the capillaries all throughout your body. So that means you can cause strokes, you can cause um, death in the tips of your fingers and your toes, you can cause a heart attack, you can cause some really, really bad problems. So what the researchers did here is they said, I know exactly where the genetic defect is in a particular individual that causes hemoglobin to be misformed. What I'm going to do, and this sounds a little scary, so hold on, guys, is I'm going to take a virus called a lentivirus. I'm going to package within that lentivirus the proper gene, so the correction to that little error in the genetic code that makes the hemoglobin misfolded or mismade. I'm going to harvest the patient's cells, their hematopoietic cells, the ones that make blood cells. I'm going to transfect the gene using the virus. So the virus will actually go into the hematopoietic stem cells. It will swap out the new repaired DNA, and it'll take away the broken hemoglobin gene. And you'll take that pool of cells, You'll ablate the cells from the original patient, okay, which means you'll, you'll give them either radiation chemotherapy, you'll take away their cells, and then you'll 
retransplant their very own cells back into them with the gene repair. Now, it's important to note that, again, the boy still has the original faulty genes. So, when we're talking about you've, you've snuck a cure in and given him these new genes, he may still make the faulty ones. The treatment is that we give him enough of the new and improved gene that it overcompensates and hides any of the negative effects from his existing faulty ones. Yeah, yeah. It, we, that's the wonderful thing about this process is we don't have to achieve like 100% uh, conversion of his genotype or, you know, going from hemoglobin S to normal hemoglobin, we just have to go, you know, 85, 90%. I'm actually not sure, um, but they actually... Well, here's how it works, Santosh. If you're running from a bear, yeah. you don't have to be an Olympic-level sprinter. You just have to be faster than the slowest member of the party. And that's, that's what this gene therapy is. This gene is not trying to get, you know, a superhuman mutant of a man. It just has to be better than his existing genetic disease condition. That's true. That's true. So we just need to make it so that he doesn't suffer these deleterious effects. He may still occasionally get you know, small side effects, but we're going to avoid the big things. We're going to avoid heart problems and stroke, and we're going to allow him to lead a normal life. So the number that they actually talked about in the paper was actually something close to like 25, 30%. And after the transplantation, they followed the levels of the new hemoglobin uh, you know, the, the mutated hemoglobin, which is now mutated to normal, and they watched it rise to 46% at month 9, and 40, you know, 48% to month 15, and it looks like it leveled off, Josh, right there at around 50%. So, he's been really well, um, he's had no problem from the myoablation, so no problem with the chemotherapy, which took away, you know, some of his old bone marrow. No problems from the lentiviral transfective DNA. And um, we're looking at, you know, 15 months after transplantation, and he's had no sickle cell-related disease. Um, no no clinical events, no hospitalizations, no problems. So, so And importantly, as you said, yeah. no sickle cell crises, and he is completely off his narcotic painkillers, which right. is something that, unfortunately, a lot of people suffering from this particular disease end up on and they they you know and of course as we worry more and more about opioid overuse and abuse these are people who genuinely need these medications but unfortunately end up becoming very dependent on them and this really kills two birds with one stone yeah you can imagine you know if you get those tiny blood clots at the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes and even i know this is a little scary for some of the guys listening but in the small capillaries in your penis and you know you can get painful erections pain at the tips of your fingers and toes and in your arms and legs and it can be as if you're getting frostbite all the time in some part of your body so you can imagine you know, what an important thing it was to modulate their pain and help them out. So previously, these pain medications were very necessary. 
So this is obviously not going to be a a cheap treatment yet. We still have a large a large distance to go. But if the therapy proves to be effective, certainly in more developed nations, we could begin to see a disappearance of some of these what have until now been much more common diseases. So that wraps up, you know, it, it brings us full circle, starting with identifying the right kind of blood in a bleeding crisis, such as maybe a sickle cell or a hemorrhage, and then bringing it all the way around to treating it with gene therapy and potentially eliminating this disease. So that is our journal club on hematopoetics. But, you know, Santosh, I feel like we need to do a just the tip that is appropriate to what we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we better hurry up because that screaming child signals the end of this broadcast. <laughs> that say, sure would suck. Well, did you know, Santosh, of course, if we're going to talk about blood and blood-related things, there's really only one just the tip I can give. And that, of course, is Dracula's Castle. Oh, man. You know, the greatest of the great mythological vampires. Uh, I I personally don't think he sucked. Uh, I think no, he no, no. Cool. So... If you are recom- if you are visiting Romania and you want a very Transylvanian experience, you can actually visit, tour, and spend the night in Dracula's castle. Um, there is no Dracula. Oh, you're, you're talking about the Count, the Grand Castle. Yeah, that's oh. what I said. Dracula's castle. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about historical castle of a real count uh, who, who used to live back there. Uh, not an actual like bloodsuckers castle. Okay, look. If you go to Transylvania yeah. and you visit around the town of Brasov, if you go to Transylvania and you book yourself into the town of Brasov, you can find day trips to visit both Pelis Castle and Bran Castle. Bran Castle, of course, may be more familiar to you as Bran Stoker, Bran Dracula, Bran Flakes, I don't know. Take your pick. Sure. Now, that if you, you can book a personal driver, you go to Bran Castle and you also stop at Raznov Fortress. The entire town of Bran depends on tourism to this castle. Oh, yeah. So you are helping out uh, a really wonderful town. So for about $8, you can walk up and see a very modern-era decorated castle. There's some sofa chairs. There's some fresh paint. But, of course, it looks exactly like you're imagining. There's turrets. There's mountains. There's a deep, dark forest probably filled with wolves. And, of course, you get a very, very Transylvanian experience. And, again, the other option is traveling also within Romania, Castle Poenari. Bran Castle is the traditional Dracula's castle that you want to picture, but Poenari Castle was actually the home of Vlad Dracul, son of the dragon, and the real origin for the Count. Um, But really... We should tell our listeners to go back and listen to what we thought maybe the Count had that made people mistake him for a bloodsucker. 
Because he made absolutely had a real medical issue. And we have been able to consistently put out some themed episodes every year, always around Halloween and Comic-Con, among a couple others. And I encourage anybody who's new to the show to go digging through those. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings. And we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me. (laughs) Me help. (laughs) With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories. Thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.